in a world in the year 2017 in a time of tradition in a city where anything can happen in a war that isn't his every day in new york city on the miami police force in the deep south Just a fucking car, just a fucking dog. Just a dog. Vigo. Yeah. When Ellen died, I lost everything. Until that dog arrived on my doorstep. A final gift for my wife. In that moment, I received some semblance of hope. An opportunity to grieve unalone. And your son took that from me. Stole that from me. Killed that from me! People keep asking if I'm back, and I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. So you can either hand over your son, or you can die screaming alongside him! Welcome back to the video store. It's all movies in, no movies out. You're listening to Late Fees. I'm Justin. Um, here on assignment, on location <laughs> this week. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are doing it a little bit different, but, you know, we, we got to do it this way, you know, because we know that you guys want it. The fans want it. They, they love this show. Everybody loves Late Fees. I'm, I am on assignment in Virginia this weekend. Uh, hosting remotely while the boys are back in uh, Los Angeles, and we're actually missing one boy. Uh, yeah, some this of the boys. Yeah, some of the boys are here. Cam is also on location with his mother <laughs> for Mother's Day. We are Graduate all and Mother's Day has taken us out of commission. Yeah, pr- pretty much. We we are completely broken and separated, like in in like uh, team up movies. Because <laughs> they... yeah, now we have our first transcontinental. Late fees episode, much like the Continental of John Wick. Yes, very, very good, very good, <laughs> very, very inspired, Eric. <laughs> like I've been working on that for, for a couple minutes. <laughs> but but as, as as always, as always, we are here for you guys for for late fees. We could not miss this episode, uh, even if there was a couple of days removed from us actually being together again. Um, as as I've said, or as Eric said, we are continuing our Keanu Reeves month. Uh, with this episode, the last episode, the Matrix episode with uh, our, our good friend Esther Rosenfeld, uh, just a tremendous episode. Uh, thanks to her for joining us uh, on the episode, and thanks to everybody who listened. Uh, how'd you guys feel about that Matrix episode as it came out? Uh, probably one of our best ever, and I would say also probably one of our, even like despite my probably overly positive opinion of the movies, probably one of our most uh, measured episodes ever. Absolutely. Uh, I'm inclined to say the same. Um, that was probably the most outward feedback that I've seen on online. Over, I know our Soderbergh episode, we saw a lot of love from you know 
people from Shea Seriano to, to Don Cheadle and, you know, like little pops of, 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 of moments like that. But there was like a deluge of, you know, comments, requests. Like I rarely get tagged in that stuff because I let, I let, you know, you guys handle that and the RNC account handle that and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I was looped into a ton of combos of people really dug our Matrix combo. And, and Esther, you know, one of our finest <laughs> film voices today she couldn't have came through in a, for a better episode and knocked it out the fucking park absolutely and that leads us to this episode which which is going to be kind of different very very um, a mix of different franchises that keanu reeves has been in this is a guy that's been in the game for over 30 years all types of movies and i think it was kind of cool to be able to do this episode in that um we had a roadmap obviously uh, we're going to do bill and ted uh the sequel to bill and ted and we're going to do john wick too but i mean i watched a lot more than what i was asked to on this episode just because this guy really when you think about it he makes so many fucking movies that we like yeah and he's so lovable like he, he i would see anything he did i mean he, one one of the most distinct like movie memories i have growing up as a kid uh and i actually still haven't seen most of this movie criminally uh but the movie i'm talking about is hardball yeah uh, but like i remember people who like i know now would not consider themselves like movie people or people who are like emotional or whatever but like people consider hardball like one of the most emotional movies they've ever seen and like that's a keanu reeves movie so he the man does it all yeah yeah he's a he's a part of our like he's just sort of woven into the fabric of a movie going experience of a certain age if yeah if you're in your you know, early 40s to late 30s to even now because of this sort of renaissance he's having, he has always been, you know, a dot that connected a sort of universal movie-going experience. Like, Speed was one of my first, like, seminal R-rated action movies that yes. I saw as a kid. And, like, I think that was most people's, like, that or Con Air or something or like Matrix. that. Or The Matrix, too, yeah. And or, But then he would switch it up, and while he was doing these sort of adult adult hard hard art films he'd pop in with a movie like the replacements like a really wacky kind of rom-com sports movie where he plays a um like a washed up quarterback who comes back and <laughs> and uh you know wins the girl and wins the goal against the scabs and uh um yeah scabs. Uh, and you know and then then yeah, this sort of rebirth we've seen with the john wick and and um and this continued conversation about the influence of the Matrix, it's just like the guy has an eternal inescapability that, yeah, we're, we're lucky to be alive to witness. I think all of this bullshit with, like, the, like, you know, uh, old guy comes back, like, reboot, sequel shit that we've endured, like, all of that has kind of allowed John Wick to exist in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah but also, like, not, and sorry to cut you no, off, no, no, but like, no. I feel like it, it almost thumbs its nose at that it, it does it does and all that stuff existing is actually worth it for john wick and things like it to exist because john wick is like the good great version of of what people think is actually yeah. happening right now yeah nothing feels gimmicky about it where you know we have liam neeson who's even older like beating up armies of like young like uh, what eastern european <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know we're like john wick like acknowledge acknowledges age and like him trying to get out the the proverbial game and yet he's still throwing down in like a really beautifully choreographed way that's like yeah and it's not hyper cut to hell like these Liam Neeson movies are like these are actually like show his body he's and grace. Shit. yeah he's like a graceful performer and I was listening listen to reading uh, some shit today and the reason that uh, Bill and Ted 3 has taken so long to get off the ground they've said is because he he and the writer 
like but we don't want to just cash in on like the nostalgia wave. We want it to be like yeah. an authentic movie where Bill and Ted are old guys, and like we have to figure out a good story for that. So like knowing that it's been delayed that long for that reason is is cool. Yeah, uh, and speaking of Bill and Ted, let's go ahead and get into Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, released in 1991. What were you guys doing in 1991? You're babies, right? I was two. I was five. I was four. Uh, I remember seeing these. It's funny. Uh, I know we'll probably get to our experience watching them, but like I actually remember the first time I watched the first Bill and Ted and second Bill and Ted. And I saw them a little bit later. I was probably like seven or eight when I watched them. But um, yeah, these movies have, have had a profound effect on your boy. So the sequel to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, uh, this movie takes place literally like maybe seconds to, to maybe days after the, the first movie, from what I understand. It's like days, yeah. <laughs> Uh, with, with our our heroes, our heroes, so to speak, Bill and Ted. Uh, Bill played by Alex Winter, of course, and Ted played by Keanu Reeves. They have beat the bad guy, but you know, not not everything is good in the present with them as it is in the future, which uh, a lot of the story takes place in, or or is kind of the crux of the story, uh, where basically a tyrant from the future kind of makes uh, evil doubles of them to go back in time to stop to kill them in order to stop them from uh, making the future a better place that's essentially yeah, what kind it. of taking down the head council where their mentor george carlin from the future and first movie works all the time yes rufus who was originally supposed to be the 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 villain in this movie which is uh really really interesting um so this good movie, decision for that not to happen. I think. Yes, I I, th- I think so too. I, I really like Rufus in this movie, I, and as a matter of fact, I really really like this movie. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I, I I think like it it doesn't really necessarily transcend what it is, but I think for what it is, it's really good and actually uh, better than the first one. Yeah, it. Um, I go back and forth to whether or not I like it more than the first. I think I I, I have an affinity for the first just for it's like just silly optimism i think this one's a little more mean-spirited but like, very very mean movie but in like a really fun way like it it still knows the world that it's sort of uh, erected around itself so like it doesn't violate that tone too much but you know we, we've been talking about this off mic you know, in our various group chats like we've all been watching random movies sort of sporadic and like we all sort of dove into Austin Powers recently for yes. some reason. Yeah, I, know, I was going to bring this up too. <laughs> we noticed a similar trope in a, or a trend where it's like they these movies become more mean and more problematic the later they get on in the in the cultural consciousness. Like, how is the first Austin Powers more woke than the one that came out in two thousand two or whatever? It's like they get. They have like this decline in tone and and uh, likability. Well, in a, I think well, I think Bill and Ted too avoids that for the most part, but it gets close. Well, because and that is probably because these movies become more liked because you have the top. It has the top itself every single time. Yeah. So like with Austin Powers one, it was like okay, this had never been done before, and yes, it is. It's a problematic movie, but it's it's very kind of primordial in that like this is the beginning of these types of movies, and. <laughs> Like the second one is like, okay, we're kind of this. Is this a Dr. Evil movie or, you know, and then then the third one is just full on. Like they just didn't even try. Like they had to try and top what they did every single time. Bill and Ted's bogus, uh, bogus journey doesn't try and do that. It kind of it doesn't try to reinvent the wheel. And and you're right. But what it does try and do is is play more with the time travel element in in a really fun way. I think in ways that like even Back to the Future was kind of scared to try. Like I I really like the evil double trope because it's so, so fun fun to see evil versions of themselves they even have the their own evil version of like the 
guitar thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's and it's great. It's like and it's such a funny comedic premise to create evil doppelgangers to stop these two like airheads. Idiots. <laughs> who, who all, their, their one crime is just being positive people. Like, yeah. They didn't really do anything except just like be nice. Like they're just positive, like, whoa, like everything's just sort of, you know, carefree and like there's like zero consequence. But that's kind of what's so brilliant about the robot doubles is that outside of like being evil bad guys is that like Bill and Ted are so nice that the robot doubles aren't that mean. Yeah, they're really like, not. They just, they like, they are like destroying plates and like being horrible to the uh, old English fiancés. Yeah, yeah. But like on a more general level, like they're mostly the same as Bill and Ted yeah. because Bill and Ted have just these like Labrador personalities. Yeah. Uh, what, how, can we talk about how like disgusting it is when they open up their bodies during this movie? This is the PG rated movie. Yeah. I mean, I think that the PG 13 rating in the late eighties and early nineties was still kind of like a, a wild west and they were like oh why does this exist yeah pg-13 didn't really kick in until the late 80s so I yeah think they're, yeah they're trying to figure it out Did yeah you just say that sorry yeah, well, kind of, like, kind of, like, <laughs> it, it, i've looked at stuff in the past and i'm like holy shit this is pg like that's weird but yeah it's there's a lot of grotesque stuff in the movie and i was just glad when they were opening up their bodies that they weren't opening up their fucking faces again yeah the face put the face open up was way worse than the body open up like it, this is a horrific there are a lot of horrific scenes in this movie <laughs> I mean, they're fucking murdered, like straight. They're executed in yeah. the movie, like in no uncertain terms. They are executed, and then they call them. They call them the f word right after they yeah, kill them. Very. Uh, I mean, that, I, that's probably the biggest uh, offensively dated moment of the movie. Yeah, and the movie is otherwise so innocent that, like, I, I'm not saying like, oh, it was just of the time. Like, no, it was ignorant and fucked up. But like. That's the one moment when it really treads into that territory. Yeah. So essentially, the story is that they are, as we said, they are killed by their doubles, and uh, it beca- this movie becomes, as, as I said, like it doesn't try and reinvent the wheel, but plays with what the first movie established in a lot of cool ways. They die and are pretty much uh, apparitions <laughs> during the movie, and they befriend Death himself, who uh, tries. They try to, uh, you know, they they try and get back their bodies in in a large part of the the second act of the movie. I thought that the apparition effect was really good yeah it was i watched it this morning and it was great what happened ted we're dead dude no way yes way look Now what? Who's that? Whoa! I really enjoyed Death too. William William Sadler plays Death in this movie. His uh, version of Death is, I think, again another version of this character that is like. I see pictures and memes about this version of death everywhere. He's, he's such an iconic character in this movie. Yeah, he's great. It's great. He's like this parody of the uh, Ingmar Bergman Seven Seal death, yes. but manages to also be so good at embodying that that he becomes a new character completely. And it's pretty important to have somebody like that in a sequel like this, I think. Yeah, I, I, I remember being actually scared of the... The, the makeup work on yes. death 
he looked like Nosferatu. Like it was, uh, it, it sort of undercuts the horror of it, like with how like goofy and, and funny he winds up being, or like at least having that comedic interplay with Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves. But yeah, there's like some pretty gnarly horror elements to this uh, all around. Yeah, well, the, the seance scene when when they get, when they are when they're trying to come back and they they enter the seance and then they're complete they completely like fuck it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like just another moment when like their Labrador idiocy driving the plot is so great. Like anything they do is just it's what makes these being like these ninety minute romps so great. When I was rewatching it for the for the podcast, like it's impossible. No matter what era we're talking about, Keanu Reeves, it's sort of impossible to sort of you know separate him from the era that he's in because like everything he does is sort of defined an era and one one way. One way or another, like this movie came out in 1991, the same year as Point Break and My Private Idaho. Like he hit literally three wildly diverse dots on that spectrum. Yeah, that's like, insane. Like that's like DMX going back to back the same year with his debut albums, like putting out uh, My Flesh and My Flesh and It's Dark and Hell Is Hot in yeah. 1998 or whatever. He did. He did one of the greatest action <laughs> action movies of all time in Point Break, Catherine Bigelow. One of the most like lyrical and like romantic movies, and like heartbreaking with My Private Idaho. I've never Gus, seen it. I gotta see it. Gus Van Sant, one of his early joints. And, and then, then the this, next like, year, the next this, year, like, this body broad comedy uh, about sequel. Sequel, yeah. Like he he was really turned. He was making. This was the year he really pivoted around that corner to like you're an American a lister. You're a superstar now. And let's get on point break for a second here because that is a, that is another movie that I did watch. Um, over the over these last two weeks, man, very very melodramatic movie in a lot of ways. But also, this movie set up. I mean, essentially, you, you want to talk about influence. This is Fast and the Furious, but without the cars. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's um, impossible to understate or overstate how influential that movie is. From you know just the extreme sports sequences from it, like the really intense surfing scenes to the fight in the sky dive, they get fighting in the sky. Yes. <laughs> like, all practical effects. You know, it's it, it is it is a. I, I think it's a perfect movie, melodrama and all. Like it, you're always gonna have melodrama and and sort of sentimentality and like really back of the room theatrics when it's like two beautiful '90s hunks and mullets like fighting in the water. It's gonna be like, <laughs> you know, well, Justin, you said it's kind of like Fast and the Furious, and like Fast and Furious, it manages to like use melodrama to make what is otherwise kind of like just bro energy really positive and fun yeah there, there are so many scenes that are like shot for, i mean nearly shot for shot the scene that in, in fast and furious where he lets dom get away is literally the shoot in the air scene from oh, yeah. point break you know it, it, it's it's literally the same type of movie but like also perfect also parodied in hot fuzz yeah where, uh, <laughs> nick frost shoots uh four bullets up in the air uh <gasps> it's it's yeah there it's it is in the dna of any comedy slash action comedy that's come out in the last 30 years yeah it's completely influential and i think even the 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 high scenes are very um very inspired i think everything about the action in that movie is very inspired and man Lori petty man like if you would have if i would have been like a young kid in, in 1991 like 
I mean, obviously older than than four, but like you know, like Lori Petty would have been like she would have been it. Yeah, she's um, she was beautiful and, and just a really commanding presence. Um, I don't think Hollywood really knew what to do with her as as they typically tend to do with with young women uh, in these in these movies, unfortunately. But yeah, she she was great. She held her own against both Keanu and Patrick Swayze. Also, like sort of crescendoing in his career too, like coming off an Oscar nomination of Ghost two years before. Yeah, I mean, it's just. Like I said, Point Break alone is this iconic sort of like the ripple effect of that movie still being felt today. But also goes back to Keanu, the man. The reason why we're talking about this always finds he's always had his his finger on the pulse of these movies throughout. Yeah, three decades now. It's he hasn't stopped making iconic movies. Yeah, kind of remarkable. He has he has at least two iconic movies per decade (laughs) since since nineteen eighty eight. Yeah. And more about uh, Bogus Adventure. Uh, so I, I, I guess last time we, we talked about uh, just the 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 the, de- the parts with death. Uh, then there there is very much a, a huge influence of just like music around this film as well. Um, it was actually produced by Interscope Communications, which was like a spinoff of Interscope Records, which is I mean Primus is in the movie, which which I did catch. And so isn't uh, the dude from Faith No More is also yes. in Interscope? Continuing the tradition from the first one, where like Clarence Clemens and some other guys are on the council uh, at the beginning. I, I think it's just really cool. Like, what what would they do in a, in a newer Bill and Ted movie with with music? Like, it's so different now. Like, they, they who would they you know dig up to be in this movie? I would imagine like some of the guys who are referenced in these first two that are still alive and kicking it are like hopefully gonna be you know around to do something. I I would it was probably gonna depend on. Uh, the amount of success they give uh, Wild Stallions in uh, in Bill and Ted Face the Music, yeah. but I, like it's called Bill and Ted Face the Music, so I would imagine that it's going to be pretty musically influenced. I wonder if uh, Pam Greer is going to come back. That would be awesome. That would be great. What's the last thing she did? <laughs> she no, she was in. I know, I know, she was in that one. Uh, what has she done recently? She, I mean, besides Jackie Brown, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, she's the, the 1997 Jackie Brown. I don't know, man. That's a great question. That's talk about the crush of my life. Miss Pam Greer was the, the original. And then she's George Carlin. <laughs> yeah, it's to hit my, you know, my, one of my favorite comedians back in the day, and also the that, that caused a lot of confusion. For your <laughs> um, no, but it, I, I honestly don't know. I, I, not to um, not to name drop here, but I, I interviewed Keanu a few years back, um, right before the Eli Roth movie knock knock came out and i got to talk to him about um uh bill and ted and like just you know i, I was super nervous it was the first time i'd ever felt like starstruck and like literally in awe i was like oh, you're like a mortal you know and when i brought up when like, everyone was talking about the junket about knock knock um i was like hey man before i let you go like bill and ted sort of like changed my life as a kid like he's like and like i just watched his eyes light up he's like a you know very reserved kind of mellow dude but, like, he was so excited to talk about this fucking movie, man. He's like, <laughs> me, me and Alex finally getting the ball rolling. This is back in 2014. So, like, he's been was, talking about it. Yeah. So, like, this was, like, before there was any sort of material progress on this movie. And he was just like, me and Alex Winter, man, we're finally putting our heads together. And kind of goes back to what Pat was saying. Like, we really don't want to just, like, do this as a cash grab or some nostalgic, you know, uh, pander shit. Like, we want to really give you guys something good. And I honestly think we finally have the wheels turning and... And knowing how how excited he's been about this since 2014, like, yeah, they're gonna pour their heart and soul into this shit. Well, it, look, it looks like it, sh- it looks like it's shooting now. It looks like it's shooting now. From yeah, what I'm seeing right yeah, now, it's shooting like right, like as we speak. Like I think it entered production in March. March, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
He's in Toy Story. He's in Toy Story Four too. Holy shit! Who? Alex Jones or Keanu? No, Keanu. Oh wow! Is he the spoon? No, he's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what he says. It says he's the voice of Duke Kaboom. So he's he's in that as well. Like just think about like all the work he's still getting as an actor is is kind of crazy. Uh, but let, let's let's put a bow. There was a movie called Keanu, and he has the voice of Keanu. Jordan Peele's movie, yeah, uh, the Keanu movie. Yeah. He was actually the. They actually got him to do the voice of the cat named Keanu. Like the guy doesn't take himself seriously after all these years, man. It's not an easy easy thing to do. Quick, quick side note, I hope Alex Winter, no offense if you're listening, for about 15 years of my life, I thought Barry Pepper was Alex Winter. I thought Alex Winter, <laughs> Alex Winter grew up to be Barry Pepper. Shout out to Alex Winter, too. These, the uh, Bill and Ted movies, he's, like, he's just as, as important to them as Keanu is. They would not work without him. He's fantastic. Let, let's put a bow on uh, Bogus Journey uh, really quickly. Okay. They, they end up getting their bodies back, and then... Uh, <laughs> A lot of chicanery happens. Uh, what did you guys think about the, the third act of this movie? Uh, I, I, I still like it more than I like the first one because the first one still just feels like a gathering of, like a, a gimmicky gathering of, of historical figures. And it's nice that, like, Death gets to, like, play on stage in their yeah. band, even if it's fucking ridiculous. Uh, but it, it feels, like, much more celebratory than I would have expected, and I like it because of that. I would say they wrote themselves into a corner, but like it's hard to stick a landing with a concept that ambitious uh, and high high concept sort of thing. Going from yeah, time traveling with ten historical figures to sort of traversing heaven and hell with the with fucking death itself, like and besting him at games. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> like it's like you know it did it, another another Key and Peele name drop. It's like. Uh, the episode where Jordan plays the guy who plays Carl Winslow, Carl Winslow, and how Urkel was sort of like this creation of of uh, who had like mind control over the network, and it like <laughs> he's like he it became his show because he was he had this evil power to him. It's like that's kind of sort of what it felt like with with Bill and Ted's. Like they they went fucking balls out. Probably some coked up exec was like, we gotta add death to this. <laughs> and, uh, but no, man, it's like they, all things considered, man, it's it's a great great third act and and ending yeah i i love that they uh they kind of like when they, when they get back with their girls and they're trying to like still be in this band they, they still do not realize that they are terrible at music and then they, then they have like an intense 16 months of guitar training <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious also that like their girlfriends are from the 15th century and are way better musicians than they are <laughs> <laughs> they but, have to just suck. Uh, but yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed Bogus Journey. I, I, th- I think that it's very, it's a very weird movie that to like start on because it's like a sequel, and I'm, I had never seen. Surprisingly enough, I had never seen the first one. I'm, I've still never seen the first one. Oh man, it's. It, uh, I think Pat's right in, in his taxonomy of it. It's, uh, it's like a series of sketches sort of sewn together that like it's like yeah like vignettes that like if you if you can when they congeal yeah it's a real movie but like yeah they they were they. They were pulling at, at straws to try to make this shit work, but like it's charming and it's Bill like, and Ted are Bill and Ted. Yeah, yeah, they're Bill and Ted, and they bounce throughout history. I mean, Billy the Kid and Socrates, Napoleon. Like they bring Napoleon back to modern day, and he like they came to a, a, a ice cream place called the Piggly Wiggly, and uh, he goes bowling. Yeah, he eats too much ice cream and then gets lost uh, at a the, at a at a, a, a theme park, a water park. It's like. Yeah, it's very eighty, very coke, coke induced, uh, but it's fun and charming, baby. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoy the movie. Uh, I really enjoy Borges Journey. I think I'll keep it. What, what about you guys? Oh, absolutely. I'm yeah. keeping both. Man. The, my first time viewing both of them, 
in full at least was last night and this morning and I would absolutely keep both of them like maybe not the most advanced filmmaking but innocent and, and awesome I would say yeah, innocent is a great way and a lot of early aughts or early 90s comedies were not and I mean clearly there's a few moments that don't age well and rightfully so but all things considered yeah it's an innocent little romp we've talked about a lot of 80s 90s movies recently and for not aging well these age pretty well yeah all things considered so did you guys remember when he refused to like be in speed 2 cruise control i i was uh i was too young for this so he he refused to be in speed 2 cruise control he was replaced by jason patrick which see where he's at now he turned down 11 million dollars and then he says according to him that his decision to turn down that movie they the 20th century fox blackballed him for over a decade yeah he said he was in a um, movie purgatory for quite some time it does feel a little bit like he was until until matrix yeah for sure yeah oh, he, what, what, he he had the, he, he had the devil's advocate though I haven't seen that in a, in, since high school I love it it's awesome right like it's great I watched it recently man and it's uh I think my letterbox review is uh, uh the writers of of Devil's Advocate naming because it's it's literally about Don, it's like Dante you know John Milton yeah. uh, selling his soul to the devil. Uh, Al Pacino's name in that movie is is John J Milton or like John Milton. <laughs> yeah. and I was like I, oh they probably did the Antonio Banderas gif. Uh, but yeah, I'm getting off track. Devil's Advocate fucking slaps. Yeah, it's a, it's a great fucking movie. I, I think it's cr- it like you could fucking act. Everybody thought he was this blank slate, this like you know sort of aloof hip hippie, but like. He goes toe to toe with Pacino, who was like chewing ham and chewing scenery. Pacino like, is insane in this movie. Yeah, and Pacino and uh, Keanu, like he's he's unreal in that movie. He was actually a capital A actor in that shit. And and like it, it's kind of uh, anomaly in his filmography, almost like he doesn't have a lot of movies like that one. Yeah, even though he has a very varied filmography, that's still kind of. Uh, a standout. Yeah, absolutely. So we're gonna go into the John Wick series after this. Uh, any 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 excitement that you guys have for that? Let me know. I uh, I'm so hyped for three. Yeah, I, for sure. I mean, I can't. It, it's I'm so excited for it. Oh, actually, well, well, before we actually break for 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 break, I, I, there's more like movies I'm looking at on his filmography that. Uh, because, I mean, obviously, I watched Point Break. I watched Bill and Ted. Uh, we watched the movies that we're going to watch. A movie that we didn't watch and I, I've never seen is A Scanner Darkly. Oh, shit. I was just talking to somebody about that. He did a Richard Linklater movie. Yeah, and it's, it, like, when they were doing, like, cel-shaded mocap. Yeah. Like, really, yeah, like, I, I, I haven't seen it either. But, like, when it came out, I was like, oh, I have to I have to see this. I just never saw it. But I, I was always really interested in it. It's um, it's a weird, unsettling movie, but it's like a Philip K. Dick novel. So like, obviously the it's the androids are a life of sheep. Right? Uh, so social implications are there, and it's like sort of right. And it's like it, it does this dystopian surveillance state movie in like a really smart and kind of disorienting way, where it's like, yeah, we've already seen the Big Brother movie, where it's like the government's watching us, but like this one sort of alludes to our more current moment, where it's like we're sort of just surveilling each other at this point and, like, allowing it to happen. Like, Orwellian shit was like, oh, the government's going to spy on us, but, like, we now willingly just walk around with microphones in our pockets. Uh, what? And, our <laughs> and, like, and, and, like, and this overexposure of social media where it's, like, we are allowing these faceless sort of cabal of corporations to like mine our data and like this movie talked about it before social media was really a thing they're watching us through those webcams every all the time oh man constantly they're watching me honk wow okay all right all right so we're keeping bill and ted uh both movies i'll I'll keep point break as well 
Um, yeah, well, uh, Point Break is uh, that's unfuckwithable. Yeah, absolutely. So when we return, we'll be talking about John Wick Two. You know what? Fuck it. Let's talk about John Wick and John Wick Two. How about that, guys? Let's yeah. Do that. Yeah. All right. When we return and yeah. the for the uh, Keanu Reeves episode of Late Fees. John. You working? Yeah. You? Yeah. Good night. Afraid so. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm thinking that we're back and we're going to be talking about John Wick, Keanu Reeves. I, I think, I, you know, I said this in my in a review of John Wick, too, that, you know, the Matrix is cool. The one is cool. You know, him being the one is cool. But I think that he is going to be known as John Wick forever from these movies. Honestly, I think it's cool that he can be both like we are young enough and old enough for him to be both. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. Like for a lot of the the early the early aughts of this uh, of this decade, Keanu Reeves was pretty much just chilling, doing very small kind of like mid market movies, and and that's not to say that John Wick is like a huge budget movie. These are like twenty to thirty million dollar movies that he's doing here. Um, but this is you know effectively an, a, a kind of like a neo noir action you know action movie in the vein of a lot of the the old 80s 90s movies that we saw him in that we were just talking about you know before the break but where he plays a retired hitman that comes out of retirement uh to basically and simply enough avenge the death of his dog yeah there's definitely like a meta element to this where it's you know i mean he keanu reeves never goes away like he directed it at this epic uh martial arts film that didn't do too well called the man of tai chi uh man of, uh back in 2013 and he did like another sort of samurai based film called uh, 47 ronin all these movies did well overseas. Crazy. it's crazy like they're like almost like acid trip surreal kung fu movies and yeah, like you said he popped up in a link later movie and then you know he did that movie street kings in 2008 with common i'm a street king ex dude from the matrix and they'll meet again uh, in, oh, in, a, in a movie that we're about to talk about. But, um, yeah, he, he was doing these really, like, sort of middle-class, middle-budget, you know, five, I don't even think John Wick had more than a 10 to $12 million budget. Like, it was all on all on stunt. I don't yeah. even, you know what I mean? Like, I, one of the interesting things is I'm pretty sure in the script for the first John Wick, I, I, he must have been attacked pretty early on. But I think that John Wick is way younger than the first one. Like, it's not about, like, his age, the age aspect, like, isn't a part of it. But I think that's kind of what ends up putting it over the edge well, like, well Keanu was 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 Keanu was connected to the movie in 2013 uh movie released in 2014 and you know Reeves kind of uh he, he worked closely on the on the screenplay and the story of John Wick so it's, it's as much as it's ingrained uh with Derek Kolstad who created John Wick and the character of him you know it's just as much of that as Keanu's character as well and, and I think that's what's interesting about these movies is that a lot of these movies like him as Neo that was a Wachowski creation. You know, that was purely them. This character is someone that he 
has a you know attachment to just as a person. Yeah, he uh, yeah these he is John Wick. I mean, I know that he is Neo and whatever, but like he you know that John Wick is just an extension of the real life Keanu Reeves. Exactly. He learned to do all this shit. Like he, if you watch the behind the scenes for these movies, like. No one is more dedicated than this yeah. guy. It's crazy, yeah. and, it, and it go, and it's not even like to call him a method actor. I think would be to be a disservice. I, I, I think like there's a pretentiousness and a and a and a um, self importance to method acting uh, that some has sort of been co opted. Now anybody who like you know exudes even just an ounce more commitment off screen to the role, they're method actors. I think that's bullshit. There's probably maybe three true method actors like Daniel. So retired. Yeah, like Daniel Day Lewis. You know, is obviously like the the paragon of that Mike Myers <laughs> no hell no <laughs> uh, yeah the, the the love guru Mike can Myers can you imagine sitting on set and you're just so happy to break for lunch and Mike Myers will not stop being fat bastard in line at the crafty table like and he's just piling on food because he's in character uh, honestly I think Mike Myers is in that category because I had no idea he was the host of the gong show he has a new talk show as a character that is I did not know unrecognizable that. he is insane he is literally yeah, he's, insane he's in the same which is kind of cool. Shout out to Mike Myers in Inglorious Bastards, also one oh, of my favorites. How about Mike Myers in Bohemian Rhapsody when he looks at the camera and says, Nobody will ever listen to that? <laughs> uh, and no one's going to listen to that in the car, like, not towards Wayne's World, like, oh boy. But, like, oh uh, but I, think, I think that also speaks to volumes to the kind of acting and, and sort of performance that we put a premium on because, you know, no one really has. Everyone loves Keanu Reeves because of the presence that he exudes, but no one ever really qualifies him as a good quote unquote actor. But like he, the commitment he brings to the role as a physical performer, which is just as important as like you know an, an emotive facial performer, whatever you want to call it. In a movie like John Wick, yeah, like this shows like he cares just as much as your fucking highfalutin pretentious uh, theater actor. You know, it's. Um, he, there, uh, so there, this movie works as a performance on, on multiple meta levels. Yeah, uh, John Wick 1, uh, as we said, I mean, very simple pre- premise, uh, John. Um, there, what, what I like about these movies is that there is not much given away of the status of John Wick or why he, you know, what he was in the, in the, in the, the background of why he's known as kind of like the boogeyman of these characters. I mean, essentially all you know him as is, is a, a guy who has a really nice car lives in a really nice house with a dog and his wife died. And that's pretty oh, much you know, it. To, like, to get out, he had to do like the craziest shit ever. Yeah. Which we still, you know, maybe we'll see in part three, but we still don't know what, what that was. But uh, and honestly, like, I think that's fine with these types of movies. I, I love the now nah, I won't say like nameless, faceless uh, protagonist, but this is like a blank, nearly a blank slate. Like he's a damaged person, but that doesn't. You know, it, it puts him into uh, seclusion and not makes him, you know, not a character. He's still a character in in, in everything he does throughout the movie. But I really like how how Keanu sells the character of, of you know, he's pained, but privately. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of unspoken sort of rules that were sort of thrust into in this movie. Um, what One's including John's backstory. It's really spoken about as, like, myth. Like, it's mythos. Like, he's the boogeyman. Like, what have you done? Like, this guy is capable of immense power and violence, even though he lives this really quiet, restrained life. And even when we're thrust into his world, when he does go on revenge against the Russian thugs who killed his dog, even the rules of the universe that sort of undergirds the hitman society, this underground hitman social club, even those rules are, like, not explained fully. But, until until um, chapter two, chapter two yeah. is is they completely blow the roof off of it. 
yeah, there's like there's like a gold currency that exists that we don't we're just kind of forced to accept. There's like this underworking hierarchy at work that's really cool. Justin, that's kind of like one of the things you and I were talking about briefly is that like the in the second one he manages to kind of capture like a combination of the Bill and Ted energy and the Matrix energy where he totally blows it out in terms of like how awesome it is, but John Wick really uses the Bill and Ted thing where it stays pretty simple ultimately even yeah. though it becomes so much bigger absolutely and so we got this gold and these markers but we don't really know exactly what they do but we don't have to yeah. and it's a great franchise because they don't overload it like there's not that extra half hour where they have to go see another character who only exists to serve the plot and you know xyz like they're the second one i, I thought i loaded it up and I was like oh this is gonna be like a two and a half hour movie and it's not it's two hours like, these are lean movies yeah very lean and like the, I think they all know everyone involved knows that like the writing will begin to crumble under its own weight if they try to parse out every little cryptic detail that these movies sort of uh, are built upon and they would just yeah absolutely ruin the mystery and the sort of fun complexity of these movies that is yeah it's complex but also super lean and simple like it doesn't try to beat you over the head with mythos or like portent it's just uh it's just yeah. there and it's like we we have to embrace the world or not and the mythos is like in a lot of ways like in, in chapter two I, I like the speed of which the mythos is introduced it's like they they introduce it to us as if we've known it for years and i i thought that in chapter two and it's just like okay well there's this extra rule that we didn't know about but we're just going to keep it rolling. And I think the movies yeah. like, and I hate to bring up this movie again, but I feel like Endgame attempted too much to build upon established things that we've been seeing for 22 movies, where if you just come at it, you know, straight face and surface level, I think audiences will accept it anyway, because they already love these movies. Yeah, exactly. It's like if you've done a good job of like the building blocks, then once you really want to take people for a ride, they won't care. Because it, that's, it doesn't matter. Like, nitpicking and stuff doesn't matter if, the, if it, the transition is smooth. Like, if John Wick steps into a time travel uh, booth and walks out in the past, I'm fine with that. Because it, I know John Wick's not going to look at me and say, listen, this is the rules. The rest of everything you've heard is bullshit. This is how it works now. No, because <laughs> I, would, I, would, I, would accept, I would accept it. I would assume he, that he would just be bringing some of the uh, Bill and Ted intelligence to it. And it would end up just being good somehow even though it shouldn't be yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) uh i i i really think that i mean i i don't even i don't even want to say this isn't even a fact at this point i think a lot of people agree i think chapter two is better than than the first john wick yeah i think so i I agree and just just before we i I think there's a little more to talk about in two just because one is so simple and at this point kind of like familiar like john john wick has kind of taken Jeez, like I, I'm gonna talk about Taken. John Wick has taken what Taken did and kind of put a new and a thousand times better spin on it. Yeah. And the first one is like you know, dog, wife dies, dog dies, car gets stolen, kills everyone. The, the, the brilliant thing about two is that what and one of my favorite things about it is when you start the movie and he's getting the car back, is you don't. I, I never even realized like at the end of one, like oh he. People still have the car. Yeah. At the, he still has to go get the car. And uh, Leguizamo makes a fantastic appearance when he comes in and tows it. He's one of the most crucial parts to this. I was going to say, I, I have a lot to say about his performance. We can get to it. But I, I think, yeah, John Leguizamo is uh, one part of the beating heart of this whole thing. He's the thing. other John. Yeah, that's true. The, the, uh, but just, uh, John Lig. Yeah, John Lig. The, uh, 
the world building that it manages to do and the style of world building that it manages to do in the in chapter one, I think is even though it probably wasn't a comic book until after the movie came out, it surely is now. Uh, but it managed to like make a pretty good comic book style world. Yeah. Even though it wasn't a comic book, like there's just enough dialogue and it's just corny enough and like people are badass and it looks cool. And, and that's because there are rules and, and, yeah. they, and they set these rules and they're very, very stable. I think this is a movie that like more than any movie that you see nowadays, when you walk into it, you know that there are rules for the continental and you know that if you break them, there will be grave consequences. And we'll see the, what the, what these consequences are in chapter three because they didn't tell us what the consequences were. You know, like in chapter two, they introduced the fact that they can just make one phone call and there's like a big ass call center with a bunch of people that can just really just, just get you hit. Yeah. So, man, when that when that like elaborate sort of call. Uh, headquarters is sort of revealed in two and also not even just the call center but like this other parallel underground society that's run by Lawrence Fishburne another callback yeah. uh, of like the sort of outcast of the outcast that sort of protect the um, the exiled of, of the hitman Lawrence Fishburne is like the Merovingian of the John Wick universe and, and, and yeah. it is all it is all tied together baby um, uh, but with two uh, and it's funny like a quick aside before we get all the way into two when we were deciding which Keanu movies we wanted to book in this episode I, I was like man Bill and Ted 2 and John Wick 2 that's sort of a stretch but we'll make it work but like when I went back and rewatched two I was like oh wait they're really not they're actually more similar thematically like there's a lot of divine themes and and like undertones and like heaven and hell uh he's basically descending from purgatory into hell in john wick 2 the the moment when uh they say like john wick do you fear damnation yeah and he said yes i was like oh my god this is crazy this is a crazy movie do you fear damnation john yes yeah, it's not a coincidence that this this movie takes place in like most of it in Rome and like in the catacombs and like surrounded by these like classical Greek statues and like the final epic fight scene is in like this uh, Dante's Inferno kind of like LED screened of flames. Mirror room, shit. yeah, mirror room. Yeah, shout out to not using a famous location in a totally bullshit way too. Like other yeah. than Mission Impossible, this is one of the only franchises that is you know there's only been one sequel, but uh, sequels always just use locations as like bullshit. But this one was like a, an actual like really cool use of Rome. Yeah, yeah. I I really think that uh, the the coolest part of uh, John Wick Chapter Two is is that it kind of it is a mean-spirited movie in a, a lot more ways than, than the first the first one had a lot of like heart like it's about a dog this one is just merely purely about revenge and it, it a lot of it is is like john's kills even are very 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 like mean in this movie like i think it has some of the best kills i've ever seen in any action movie ever yeah it's that sort of tension between uh, having to kill and then wanting to kill. Like, yes. He doesn't want to, but he also clearly knows he's good at it. So when he has to, it's going to be the most effective, brutal way possible. Uh, and I think that's like a, a theme that they explore deeper into where, yeah, there was this like pure sort of empathy driving his revenge in number one, where number two is sort of self-preservation, where he takes out probably more people than he has to because, <laughs> because he knows he has to. Uh and it sounds like you want to say more, so I don't want to cut you off, but, like, I really think the dynamic between him and Common's character really sets the bar for what to expect as far as 
really brutal fight scenes, which we've seen uh, when they like tumble down the stairs. Yes. Every rack, uh, but also like the dainty sort of silencer shootout in the, in the train <laughs> station where they're like, Brilliant. it's almost like, uh, like they're playing like tag or something. It's like, it's one of, it's, it plays it slapstick to me, honestly. But now do you guys remember when we all saw this movie two years ago? I forget. Oh, it, it, but peak thief moment where I think it was the pencil scene where the guy gets the pencil through the head. Uh, Pat just goes, Huh? Like lets out this guttural laugh, <laughs> laugh like guffaw. It now, was the funniest. Now, Pat, Pat, did you is, did you make that that guttural laugh because you remember the callback? Yeah, I, it, it was when it's when Stormare is talking about the the pencil scene, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, because the, the pencil's in the in the first one. But I, I yeah, I mean the I, I'm glad this was mentioned. Like, I'm glad my guttural noise was mentioned because the. Uh, Justin, you're talking about like the difference between the, the like John Wick in the first one and his descent in the second one, and really after this pretty funny meeting with Peter Stormare in the in the opening, he doesn't really. It's not funny really after that, or it's not funny in the same way yeah. as the first one is. And I, I do, I did love that callback. I mean, the the pencil thing is great. Though, like when when Stormare says like. Who does that? Like it's it's so great. Yeah. Well, I, I love the callback. Is that is that like it's a very deep. It's almost like not even a deep cut, but it is because it's not mentioned. You just see the pencil, and you're like, okay, a pencil. Then when he kills him with the pencil, it's like, oh, like you're like everyone in the yeah. theater was like, yeah. oh, it's the pencil. Yeah, yeah it's che- Chekhov's pencil. Yeah, baby. I, I know we're, we're kind of going. The, the theater reaction to that common fight was one of like the crazy things I've ever felt yeah. in a theater. And usually, uh, I, I don't say it plays like slapstick to to undermine it in any way. Like, Pat and I talked on Pat's uh, The Cable Box about the last episode of Barry, where there's this really brutal, extended, single-take fight that takes place in the first 10 minutes. Just, I know you haven't seen it yet, so I won't spoil yeah, it. Please, yet. please don't, please don't. <laughs> oh, you're not caught up? Okay, yeah, I don't want to spoil it. Um, the When I say slapstick, because there is a comedic element to it, because... There's like almost a rhythm. It's almost like on a rhythm. And I don't think that's an accident. Like the first shot in John Wick 2 is a Buster Keaton. It's on the TV, um, which is like sort of like they're paying homage to this physical, the physical performer of all physical performance. And like speaking of our friend Esther Rosenfeld, we were just tweeting at each other when John Wick 2 came out years ago. And we were both just sort of in awe of Keanu's physical performance because it reminded us of the silent comedian performers of the like Max Linder, these old old school comics who would just throw their body through like sheet glass windows and shit when you know there was no technology to do it or like just down a flight of stairs and i was like oh keanu is doing this same shit and here he is doing a buster keaton impression i love that first fight uh, the, the, the not even the first fight the first fucking you know set piece literally from the the streets all the way to the garage is completely brutal i i think like throughout the whole even when i watch it now i'm like oh like you feel every hit in this movie because there's no cgi bullshit behind it it's like it's so it's so jarring because we'll watch these huge mega like multi-million dollar billion dollar movies and then we go to this very you know very small like this is a 40 million dollar you know budget movie all practical effects it looks way better than what we see in these huge billion-dollar movies. Yeah, Practicals always looks better. Practicals always better than also having a literal stunt director, stunt coordinator as a director who knows how to stage, knows how to block, knows how to film the shit. That it doesn't have to be like like these Liam Neeson movies that are shot to like hyper close up, edited to hell, so you don't even see one continuous much motion between a punch and the punch landing. It's all cut. You see everything land. 
and it keeps that tension built ratcheted up too. So it's like everything just looks real and brutal. It's fucking these movies are fucking technical masterpieces. Now uh, these movies were directed by David Leach and uh, Chad Stileski. And they one of they co-directed one, and then one of them moved on to direct two alone, right? Yeah, he did two alone because. Um, because David went on to do uh, Atomic Blonde and Deadpool 2. Yeah, that's okay. what I thought. And you, and see, a lot of, you see a lot of that in Atomic Blonde. I haven't he, seen Deadpool 2. For, and he's also, uh, he, he's also directing uh, Hobbs and Shaw. Wild Hogs 2? <laughs> Hobbs and Shaw, brother. Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> uh, why do you think that this, you know, the John Wick magic didn't really work for Atomic Blonde and Deadpool 2? I don't know if you guys have seen Atomic Blonde. I have seen it. I've seen both movies, but... Um, I think Pat did see Deadpool 2. Like, why do you think that didn't work for, for these two movies? I think Deadpool 2, or like, I obviously do not like Deadpool. <laughs> I, I don't either. The, the, the first one in and of itself isn't so bad, but I think with the second one, it's just too indulgent and being true to itself is just being indulgent, whereas John Wick, like, had a lot of heart to it. I mean, other than being about like a guy's wife and dog dying, it does have a lot of actual heart to it because they know who the character John Wick is, even if you don't actually know who he is at all. Mm-hmm. But Deadpool, you don't know anything about the character. He's just annoying and has guns. So, like, even though the some of the shit in Deadpool does look awesome, yeah, but it's never that cool because Deadpool isn't John Wick. Yeah, and and with Atomic Blonde, I felt like it was it, he was trying to make this 1980s you know based movie very very much like John Wick you know the, the entire series and I mean other than that scene that you see in the trailer that everyone you know thought that was kind of like the sizzle reel for the movie like there isn't really much else in the movie like that that is a very long 20 minute action scene that lasts throughout the movie and that's the only like he's not I don't think that that uh, I don't think that Dave is very good at like shot to shot like moving a story along and i think that's what he needed chad for i think one of them balances out the other as far as story and action goes but as far as like even in deadpool 2 like the story there is no story in that in that movie at all no like it's, it's like just, it's like chad hugo without pharrell yeah i mean you know what that's a great <laughs> that, that is a great you know there's really something in the water with that oh i see what you did there shout out to virginia beach baby uh, uh but i haven't seen deadpool 2 i like atomic blonde and you know charlise is is an, an, an incredible athlete like she has the physicality to, to throw down and things look good but I think you're right there's it, it's less about the action and more about how how that story kind of congeals together and it, it just sort of I think it just took too big of a swing that that was its biggest downfall um, too confusing too <laughs> yeah there, there was a lot of moving parts that don't really kind of thread together in a really clean way uh I refuse to see Deadpool 2. I like Rob Delaney. He's my king. Maybe I'll watch his scene alone, and that's it. But, uh, no, I'm not seeing Deadpool 2, so you can tell me anything about that shit. It's, <laughs> it's, it's terrible. That's, that's all you need to know. Um, but back to a good movie, uh, John Wick Chapter 2. So, essentially, John Wick, on the run, uh, he, he, he ends up killing... Uh, what's his name? What's, what's the guy's name? Santino D'Antonio. Oh, it's, it's Santino. Um, after he kills him... He, he kind of like I, I really like that scene. I think in a, in a movie filled with really really great scenes of, of like standoffs and and just really like really good dialogue as well. The part where he actually kills him when he's eating dinner at the end is c- cathartic <laughs> for a lot of audiences in in a lot of ways. 
It was good because, like, he he's such a bullshit guy. Like, when he... Because he gives John Wick the marker and then says, like, I'm too much of a pussy to, like, politically kill my sister. Please do it for me. Then you'll be fine. Then John doesn't really do it, but basically does do it. Then he's like, oh, now I have to avenge my sister. And, like, it's just a fucking, like, basically, like, a, a Republican. Uh, <laughs> and... Then it's great because like John Wick like he continues the theme where he really only has to like get even and then he can get out, but he still can't. Yeah, not at all. Um, I mean, speak more scenes that speak of his sister. The blood, uh, the, the the bathtub with the blood covered in blood. What a fucking shot, huh? Yeah, when she like waves her arms like that. Yeah, she slits her yeah. wrist. That's fucking crazy. The the, the movie's gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think the club scene is like claustrophobic. It's it's bright. It's it's fun. It's it's fucking. You know, it's like there are a lot of really inspired shots in this movie. Like I think that honestly, like in in a lot of ways, one of the best shot movies of the past decade, in my opinion. I would actually agree, having just watched it today, and that club scene and a lot of scenes in it have some big Matrix vibes. There's a lot of Matrix vibes, baby. It's where we're at in, in the world. It's yeah, good. there's a lot of intertextual allusions. Yeah, to sure. in, including him meeting. Yeah, yeah, they know what they're doing, man. And I I think another thing that speaks to why these movies work and why others don't. Well, that and why so many people just like them and has all this this constant replay value is like even a scene where this where the woman slits her wrist, she slits her wrist, right? Yeah, Um, with her like hair 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 pin. Yeah, it's like there's an elegance to it that doesn't feel gratuitous. Like it's not like you know. They could have, it's, you know, two male director or a male director and a male protagonist. Like, they could have really lingered on her body in, in really gross and sort of ex- exploitative ways. There's something dignified about everything. Yeah. Like, even, like, when this woman, you know, kills herself and you do see her nude briefly. Like, there's, and even the violence. Hardly, though. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's staged very well. Tasteful is, I think, the right word. And it's like, and even the violence where he's, like, dispatching dudes, like, and knocking heads off. It's violence for a reason, I think. It's like... It looks cool, obviously, because it's choreographed in these very incredibly kinetic ways. But like, you're not supposed to want, you're not supposed to like violence after this movie. I think that's the point. Even though I do love John Wick basically stabbing people with a gun, yeah. like it's so awesome. Yeah, there's something intimate about it all. Like he, like, he has a gun and yet he like kills people from you know point blank distance every time he's fighting them, like wrestling them with guns. It's, it's pretty fucking sick. So hard question, very hard question, or maybe easy question. Of the two movies, what is your favorite fight or action scene in between these two movies? Ooh, I got two in mind. Uh, yeah, I will say the easy one, I think, is the common one in the in the subway. Yeah. Uh, where, where nobody really notices the bullets flying around. Yeah. Them. It's like, beep, beep, beep. Yeah. And honestly, the common one before that is amazing. When they slow down. Yeah. yeah. And when, like, you can hear, like, it just sounds like they're fucking bare-knuckling each other. Yeah, like, it's, it's cool. awesome. And the sound design is amazing. Yeah. Um, but honestly, one of my very favorite ones is the very first John Wick fight where they, uh, like, invade his house, basically, yeah, when, they, when they do kill the, the dog in the first one. And I, like... You, it's great because like it's exemplary of like a uh, John being so great and efficient at killing, but also that like he knows his own better than these guys know his home, and it doesn't really shy away from the messiness of the fighting, even though 
it makes it look so awesome. And like very few things probably orient you in a universe and within like its hero's skill in such a good way as that original fight, even though technically it's obviously taught many times throughout the series. Oh man, I have to say <clears throat> between the two, like there's, there's so many, I think the, the, the nightclub, uh, scene in the first movie is probably still my favorite one of all time. It, it's amazing. I mean, you can't be faulted for picking that, or, yeah. you know, but it, it's, it looks so, it's so beautiful. So, uh, I, I don't think that, well, one more question. I, I, I think that Tron Wick 2 or Chapter 2 is perfect. What do you, what do you guys say? Yeah. Uh, just a quick caveat. I, I, I'm glad Pat said the silent sort of subway shootout between him and Common, but that catacombs shootout is like, oh, yeah. It's like heat level. Like, obviously, like, I would never say anything better than Mike, what Michael Mann did with heat, but like, as far as like space yeah. and, and, and choreography again, like, it, it is an all-timer like white knuckled him just sort of going through this dark even though it's dark you know the geography of this place and like you can see everything logically and, and clearly where you see these the baddies coming down the the catacombs with their fucking machine guns firing and he's like going around corners the columns and pillars and taking out heads and it's um like i said man it's a it's a technical masterpiece the shotgun the, the shotgun alone yeah when he dumps when he dumps the automatic and goes with the shotgun it's like whoo <laughs> Uh, I, I think the John Wick Chapter Two is the, probably the perfect. It's probably like the best action movie of all time. What, what do you guys think? It's definitely one of the best ones released, at least like in my adult life. I would say. I mean, having just I I rewatched it today for the first time since we had our, our epic theater viewing of it, and I was surprised at uh, how readily I agreed with you and uh, my one of my former roommates. Uh, Alex about the movie both you guys both say it's just head and shoulders above the first one and it, it actually is uh, I love the first one and it's one of the rare like Empire Strikes Back level yeah. sequels where it's like as good or better than than the original and it, it, it the blowing out of the world building is so good and it doesn't do what uh, Matrix Reloaded does where like it kind of has great world building but then you're like oh what was this all for <laughs> John Wick like you know exactly what is happening uh, yeah. it, it's just a fantastic movie and it's it, like it is one of the things where like cinema now especially in this like nostalgia and nerd celebrating age is so gratuitous and like Dutch ruddery and, uh, <laughs> oh and, my god and, and, and like this movie is like it, it would be easy for it to fall into those in like the worst ways but instead it kind of eschews those habits and like is the awesome version of the thing that everyone thinks they want and because of that it somehow is like less famous than all this other shit yeah it's insane like it's still kind of in like the indie action franchise which is crazy yes it literally is an indie action franchise and it's like the little franchise that could like each movie gets better aggregate critical response and more money at the box office and like it has now become like a zeitgeisty thing like you look at the way people talk about it online it almost is like they're talking about fucking the Avengers Fast and Furious, and Fast and Furious but without all the you know, annoying, obnoxious sort of, yeah, pandering baggage that comes with it. This is just like a lean, mean um, indie machine that like people really fuck with, and it has like the right kind of audience too. In that GQ video, when Keanu was talking about how happy he was to be riding a motorcycle in in the third one, oh man, what a fucking great thing! Yeah, what a, guy. <laughs> what a fucking guy. Guy's an angel. 
Uh, so I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there is no, uh, no shock to anybody that we are going to keep this movie, right? Keep both of them. I mean, integral to the fabric of, of film in the last in this decade. Yeah. These two movies. Yeah, the same way. The same way. The Matrix, you know, inspired fight scenes and cinematography and tone for you know ten years after. I think John Wick is going to do that as well. And I mean, it, we already are. With movies like Atomic Blonde, and even in like the bigger, sort of broader Fast and the Furious franchises, how how much more they are paying attention to fight scenes and like the choreography there, and and sort of people doing their own stunts. It's like it's it's Keanu once again is you know pushing the ball forward in this Herculean way that he does. All right, so Keanu Reeves uh, for for the month. Oh. Of- for the month of May, we're going to listen to Dog Star all month, obviously. Uh, but we want to thank you guys for listening to uh, just a, a great month in, in movies, honestly. I, don't, I think other than like the Matrix uh, Revolutions, I don't think we've seen a lot of bad movies from the guy, honestly, uh, this month. And that was that one wasn't on him. And depending on who you ask, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, once again, I, I want to say thank you to everyone who listened. I know that the audio is probably a little different this episode, but of course, I will be back in Los Angeles with the boys as well as well as cam uh you know and for the next episode and we, we do have a we, do we have a tentative schedule for what's coming up we can, we're not going to reveal it yet yeah we will probably end up on twitter soon um there's a couple big summer releases we may tie into or we may not tie into based on scheduling so we have to kind of get a feel for it yes uh, yes absolutely we'll, uh i want to give a quick shout out to uh Cyrus for making all our covers uh, every week for uh, the late fees episodes. The gorgeous covers you see are, are thanks to Cyrus. Thank you, Cyrus. Uh, and let's give a shout out uh, to John Highland, uh, who is just delightful uh, on Twitter. Yeah, yes. dude, thank, thank you for listening week in, week, week out, man. Like, that's not something we don't notice. And we appreciate the praise, and um, you're good at gifts. Thank you. No, knowing we are connecting with people is uh, shockingly valuable. Yeah, like, uh, it's not something I ever thought I'd care about until like now. <laughs> now it's a, a, a it's a great currency in my life. And, and, you, can, and you can follow John at uh, at JFH2C. He's a huge, you know, huge friend of the show. You know, we we see you every single week, man. We we appreciate all of the uh, banter. Friend of the pod. Okay, friend of the pod. We got me. We got uh, wrestling, music, movies, like John. It, the content. He's yeah. a polyglot. He knows it all, baby. What is it? What's a polyglot? Like he he a can, modern renaissance. Yeah, band. he knows about wrestling and sports and movies and music. He he's got a he can compensate it all. Thanks thanks, pal. Pal of the pod. So until next time for late fees. I'm Justin for Eric and Pat and also Cam, who is a disembodied soul hanging above the show right now. Uh, check us out <laughs> and, and follow us at RNC Radio Live for all of the latest news and updates and also the uh, at the A Show RNC. Um, on SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify and everywhere else where podcasts are being listened to for our wrestling, uh, you know, wrestling inspired and, and curated stuff as well. We also have new play- playlists coming out of RNC as well. The RNC Radio Live playlist has been updated as well as the R&B and RNC playlist as well. Also have a really cool playlist uh, for Tronada. It's called Tronada Weather, uh, created by Meals. Super, super dope. Uh, and also we have RSBN, which is, you know, we're barreling into the NBA Finals. We have the Western Conference Finals. Finals uh, that was decided yesterday, or actually today, and the Eastern Conference uh, Finals that was uh, also decided today as we were recording this show. So Mark and Jeff will have all of the updates for that on RSBN uh, today on, on today's episode as well. So until next time, 
uh, for late fees. We're gonna we're gonna close the video store. All movies in, no movies out. Until we'll next close time. Close Watch all these Keanu movies ourselves. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Until then, we are officially retired for two weeks, and you know, in which case we'll be we'll be back. Peace, y'all. Peace. Holy shit. Where'd you find this? Red Porsches, red portraits, red guns if you dare come near the Porsche. Red Porsches, red portraits, red guns if you dare come near the Porsche. Red Porsches, red portraits, red guns if you dare come near the Porsche. Don't you dare come near the Porsche. Holy Where'd you find this? Raven, tell them we amazing Better yet an army, the U.S. Navy Intel Slim, I was raised on cash money They can't kick me out of shit, I ain't Dane Dash dummy I'm the gauge past 100 on that red Ferrari Me and Weezy Blood Brothers, we got red Ferraris Red tops in the hood, red tops on Bacardi Red tops on top models at the after party Before S. Doc Carter was Brooklyn's stepfather I was getting G money like Nino at the Carter I was just a baby like the face on the third quarter, even had a baby face like Tracy Evans, baby the father. Empire. Nigga, so you know what I mean when I say I get the money like a money machine. Yeah, I'm in LA, Gasolin, but when I'm in New Orleans, you can call it Chris Paul. Come on, red Porsches, red portraits, red guns if you dare come near the Porsches. Red Porsches, red portraits, red guns if you dare come near the Porsches. Red Porsches, red portraits. Red guns, don't you dare come near the forge. Don't you dare come near the forge. Don't you dare. Ha. Okay, holla at your blood. Big dog wheezy and that big dog freezing with the wig off. It ain't easy to go this hard, but Weezy go this hard. Like pussy right in front of me. I get pussy, I get money, I don't get none of y'all niggas. Like two, three, I'm after every one of y'all niggas. What am I saying? I'm ahead of all of y'all niggas. And mine gon' shine like armor all here to spy. I wear that chopper like a uniform. You bitch niggas never see me like a unicorn. Who the boy mix the guns go crazy? I got that red magic, unbelievable, amazing. Hey, it's a beautiful day. Feeling like the father of a sun ray, like Jamie, box a box like Floyd May. And if the weather right, I play the red box Porsche. Come red Porsches, red portraits, red guns. If you dare come near the Porsche, red Porsches, red portraits, red guns. If you dare come near the Porsche, red Porsches, red portraits, red guns. If you dare come near the Porsche, don't you dare come near the Porsche. A home invasion, and this time I'm gon' shine like the chrome on Dayton's. You can wait on detox, and you can have more patience. Baby, sit that Patron while we get wasted. Weezy, we sip lean me. I just taste it. We be soaking up syrup like a Waffle House apron. Infrared beams going back to the basics. I'm a street king, ass dude from the Matrix. Yeah, cash money in the basement. Me and Slim like the hot boys with a facelift. Translation, it's Freddy versus Jason. Who your favorite? Rapper, me and Weezy will erase them And if they getting money then we will paper chase them With beams that glow in the dark like Kanye's stage shit Then we hijacking Kanye's spaceship And landed on the red carpet at the VMAs, bitch Red Porsches, red portraits, red guns If you dare come near the Porsches Red Porsches, red portraits, red guns If you dare come near the Porsches Red Porsches, red portraits, 
red guns If you dare come near the fortress If you dare come near the fortress Don't you dare come near the